Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Allen Derry, and I'm an infectious diseases specialist in New Orleans. Just as a reminder that COVID-19 and the human immunodeficiency virus do share the same risk factors. Hi, my name is Doc Griggs, and I'm a community medicine doctor and health literacy expert. This is the Noise Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician, that's me, and a health literacy and communications expert, that's me, talk about what you need to know about COVID-19. You can find more information about this show and our other daily live updates and Q&A show at noisefiltershow.com. So let's get started. So welcome to COVID Noise Filter. My name is Dr. Mark Yandere, and we are so happy to have guest co-hosting with us, Nurse Julia. Welcome to the show, Nurse Julia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be coming on board with you guys. Thank you so much. And now on to the show. What our brains say about long-term effects of COVID-19? 8.4 million. That's the estimated number of people who've contracted coronavirus and may not be able to overcome the lasting physical effects of COVID-19. Researchers from the National Institutes of Health say that the brain is the key to figuring out those effects. According to NBC News, researchers at the NIH have been diligently working on several projects to try and ascertain why some patients experience lingering symptoms weeks and even months after the acute infection. Symptoms can include profound fatigue, brain fog, shortness of breath, fevers, and headaches. The goal of the project is to figure out how the coronavirus affects brain tissue by studying the brains of those that unfortunately died from COVID-19. Yeah, researchers had a sample of 30 brains from people aged 5 to 80. The samples were analyzed using MRI, and the team looked for active virus in the brain tissue, but surprisingly, there was no virus to be found. However, they did find a large amount of inflammation. Yeah, they also found a protein called fibrinogen, which normally plays a role in blood clotting. However, fibrinogen should not normally be found in the brain. Its presence suggests that there were tiny blood clots in the brain that decreased oxygen levels. The decreased oxygen levels can lead to a lot of things, including brain fog and stroke. While the results of the brain research are significant, what they could mean are only theoretical at this point, and they may not be the only cause of the long-term COVID-19 symptoms. Yeah, it's super fascinating. Other NIH researchers looking at the nervous system changes of those who recovered from COVID-19, lung fluid samples, and imaging of the brain, heart, and lungs. Hopefully, science will prevail swiftly to help those suffering from the most physical effects of the coronavirus. It's really fascinating, Julia. Like, right? I mean, we know, well, one, let's just take a huge step back and say all of this stuff could have been prevented had we acted in a coordinated and central perspective. So I just want be very clear about that, that our approach was terrible. But now we have folks that are having these microemboli or these clots in their brains, which could be responsible for a lot of the adverse effects that people are feeling after, or the lingering effects rather, that people are experiencing after having COVID. Yeah, this is so interesting. I mean, I'm so shocked to hear fibrinogen. Yeah, fibrinogen in the brain. Yeah, I'm just curious to see what else they're going to to find out, you know, in future research. I think all of this is still so very new. So that unexpected finding, I, I mean, I just can't imagine what else will come from the research. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, we'll continue to follow up on this story. Inequitable distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine. 
Okay, so now, according to the New York Times, more than 800 million doses of the COVID-19 vaccine have been administered worldwide. Uh, Now, unfortunately, this is not an equitable distribution of the vaccine. Israel is one of the top countries with about 58% of its population having received at least one dose of the vaccine and 46% receiving both. Other countries at the top include the United Kingdom, Chile, and the United States with 38%, 28%, and 22% respectfully of the population having received one dose. Now, this inequitable vaccine distribution is evident across continents as well. Now, while North America has administered 18 doses per 100 people, South America has only administered 4.9 doses per 100 people. Global health advocates have accused President Biden of vaccine hoarding. There needs to be improvements in the distribution of the vaccine or the virus will continue to spread and evolve. These advocates want the administration to provide funding and supplies to more needy nations. To address the shortage in Southeast Asia, the United States will partner with Japan, India, and Australia to expand the global supply. Now, recently, the Biden administration has announced plans to send millions of doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine to Mexico and Canada, thereby getting us one step closer to a more equitable distribution. So this is super important and something that we'll continue to follow, but making sure that all of us are vaccinated at the same time. And by all of us, I mean the globe is really the only way that we're going to be able to move forward uh, to make sure we get through this pandemic. Because the one thing that we don't want to do is leave some pockets of populations not vaccinated. And those are the individuals that could potentially create new variants. So we need to vaccinate all of us at once. And this seems like a decent plan to make sure that we move forward toward that goal. What parents think of remote learning. A recent NPR poll revealed interesting insight into what parents think of remote learning for their kids. Children's education has been impacted by the effects of the pandemic. Some outcomes were favorable for some families, while unfavorable for others. This poll shed light on some of the details of parents' thoughts on virtual learning. That's right. In fact, of the parents who were polled, about half of them have a child who's currently learning remotely. About 17% of the parents have a child who's in a hybrid environment with both remote and in-person learning. Now, the poll showed that there is broad support for bringing students back to in-person learning at some capacity. Now, roughly two-thirds of parents support going back to school once teachers receive vaccines. Now, another interesting finding was that the parents with children attending in person, 85% reported that the teachers and students wear masks and social distance at all or most of the time. In reviewing how the quality of education has impacted the child, more parents feel their child is left behind when it comes to soft skills, such as communication, socialization, and mental health. 62% of parents reported that their child's education was disrupted begging the need for greater support. Eight out of every 10 parents supported structured social, emotional, and mental health support for their kids, according to the poll. More than 80% of parents support the implementation of targeted additional services to help children catch up. Now, one striking finding was that 29% of parents say that they plan to stick with remote learning indefinitely. 29%. Wow, that is such a huge number. Though virtually all parents across the poll supported the idea of providing more support services and structure to better assist the children in navigating their educational journey. 
That's amazing. I would have never guessed that 29% of parents say that they want to stick to remote learning indefinitely. I mean, uh, it just reminds me um, of a recent <laughs> TikTok that I saw actually that was talking about never going back into the office. I would beg to say that this big or huge percentage of parents um, in favor of remote learning for their children are also in favor of remote work for themselves as well. So that's that's that to consider. (laughs) Do you think that we could encourage some of these kids to have a TikTok about never going back to school again? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually know what TikTok is. This is what I was going to say. So. (laughs) Which is impressive enough. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah, even the parents are on there saying, hey, we're never going back. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Well, good. Well, again, as we say on COVID Noise Filter, we'll continue to follow with the story. Just as a reminder that COVID-19 and the human immunodeficiency virus do share the same risk factors. Doc Griggs. Thanks for listening to the Noise Filter Daily Podcast. Dr. Derry and I have a daily show at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time where we go into more detail on stories and answer your questions about COVID-19. You can find Doc Griggs at DocGriggs1 on social media, and you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at D-R-D-E-R-Y. You can follow us at NoiseFilter on Instagram, NoiseFilterNola on Twitter, and for more information about us and the show, you can go to NoiseFilterShow.com. Hey, Doc Griggs, any last words? Remember, get checked, get fit, get moving. And remember to get some rest to boost your immune system. And Doc, protect yourself and others by staying home and please wear masks when you go outside. Remember, health is a human right.